0: If you can remain standing for the reading of the scriptures this morning, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1, 2, and 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of God. Let's pray. And now, Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth, that the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. We are starting a series today, a fairly short series, just three weeks, on endurance. Say endurance. Uh, This is a word that most of us are probably familiar with, and it's a theme that we find all over the scriptures, especially in uh, the New Testament. Uh, uh, Probably about a month and a half ago, uh, our leadership team was over at my home. We were sitting on the back porch having one of our monthly meetings, and I just put this question on the table. what are some of the things that you're hearing in our church that we should be aware of? Uh, what are some of the things that we could be talking about on a Sunday morning? What are some preaching topics that we might want to look at? And one of the things that Romelia said was this word endurance. She says, you know, one of the things I'm hearing in our church is, is, is what does it mean to, to endure, to bear up, to stay strong, to remain involved in the life that God has called me to live? And that resonated with our leadership team, and it was something that i began praying about and studying, and, and it really began to resonate dip, uh, deeply with me. So um, props to Ramelia for that, and she will be preaching next Sunday, part two of this sermon series, so you can be praying for her this week. Um, so, so this is where this, this series comes from. Now, before I get into the, the specific topic today, which is obstacles to endurance, I want to say just a couple of words uh, about the idea of endurance. You see, I don't think we can understand A life of endurance if we don't first understand salvation. Uh, Here's what I mean. Uh, Some of us come from traditions or we maybe have this idea that salvation is primarily about what Jesus saved me from. So that I can one day go to heaven. So we have this, this notion of salvation that, that I was rescued from my sins. I was saved from something in order to one day go somewhere. I was saved from my sins in order that I can one day go to heaven. Thank God that, that that is true. right? We were saved by grace from our sins, something we couldn't do for ourselves. And we look forward to a future hope when God makes all things right and we get to spend eternity in a recreated justice-filled world. We look forward to that day. But if this is the extent of our understanding of salvation, I want to suggest that we're going to have a hard time understanding why the scriptures are so full of this teaching about endurance. If we were saved from something and now our primary job is to wait until we get to go somewhere someday, then why would we endure? Why would we put ourselves in positions or remain in positions that require us to endure? Wouldn't we just kind of, you know, sneak off to the sidelines somewhere and count the days until we, you know, get to, you know, go? Why would we even be in a position to endure? Are Are you with me? And so uh, with, with this as the extent of our understanding of our salvation, Christian life becomes mostly about pain avoidance. There's no real point to a life of endurance. However, as you know, if you've been around our church for any length of time, we believe that salvation is a little bit more robust than that. Certainly, salvation is being rescued from something that we couldn't do for ourselves. And certainly, there is a future hope of what God is going to do for us. But there is a present reality as well. We believe that we have been saved, rescued into new life, from death into life. And this new life begins when? Right now. This new life doesn't begin one day when we get to heaven. This new life in Jesus begins now. So we can expect to participate in what God is doing in our world when? Right now. New life in Christ, our our, our old life passing away and new resurrected life coming begins now. God has been about the rescue, the redemption, the restoration, the recreation of the world Now we are invited to participate in this mission. Somebody say amen if you're with me. So new life doesn't begin one day. It begins right now. And if we're paying attention to this idea of salvation, the idea of endurance becomes, well, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Because to follow the way of Jesus in this world, to participate in God's mission in this world is to encounter situation after situation where endurance will be required. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. We live in a world that, as the Apostle Paul says, is groaning, waiting for the restoration of all things. We live in a world that is still racked with sin and with evil. And so to follow Jesus in this world, to pursue the mission of God in this world, is to encounter over and over again opportunities to endure. Amen. So we begin with an idea of salvation, because without this, if we do not understand what we are saved into, the idea of endurance is is just not going to make a whole lot of sense to us. So allow this to be our backdrop as we dig in this morning. One last word of introduction and, and maybe caution. Some of you need to hear that endurance is not an opportunity to prove our merit to God. Some of us need to be reminded this morning that endurance is not a way to put God in our debt. I know some of you well enough to know that this this is a struggle. We want to do something for God. We want to somehow make ourselves more acceptable to God by what we have done, what we have accomplished. And so maybe endurance would be one of those things. Look what I've done, God! God! Am I now not more worthy, more lovable to you? Endurance is never a way for us to prove our merit to God. You see? Neither is it a way to put God in our debt. God, You owe me. I've endured that situation. I've put up with that person. I've borne up under that job. I've been faithful, God! God! And so in this situation now, in this prayer now, God, you owe me. Endurance is neither a way for us to prove our merit to God, neither is it a way to put God in our debt, because entrance into this life, this Christian life, is through the cross. And as we read a minute ago, what happened on the cross? Who endured on the cross? Jesus. We didn't endure on the cross. The Son of God endured the shame of the cross. So when we talk about endurance, when we talk about this life of mission that we lead, we cannot talk about it without the cross being central. This is the entry point for us. There is no endurance for you and I if Christ had not first endured the cross. Amen. Amen. So when we talk about enduring, when we talk about endurance, we must over and over again encounter the gospel of grace. At the heart of our Christian life is a God who endured for us. So we're in a position to even talk about living enduring lives because of what Jesus has already endured for us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's then get a little bit more specific. It's one thing to say that following Jesus requires us to live lives of endurance. Most of you are probably already with me on that one, but the Bible is actually much more precise than that. The Bible gives us specific examples of the things, the realities, the obstacles that will require us to live lives of endurance. I'd like to share with you this morning seven of these realities. This is not an exhaustive list, but seven seem like a good biblical number. It seemed like it would keep me from preaching for too long, so I'll limit myself to seven this morning. You could think of others of these as you study the scriptures, but these to me seem like seven of the high points, seven of the things that Christians can't expect to encounter that will require lives of endurance. Next week, what Remelia is going to do is talk with us to preach to us about how we live lives of endurance. I'm going to make the case this morning that we must live lives of endurance, and she's going to dig into how it is that we live such lives. And then two weeks from today, I'll close us up with a call to be an enduring community, to endure together, because we're not meant to endure alone. We endure as God's people together. So with that said, What are some of the obstacles that you and I must endure as we pursue God's mission in the world? Number one, we endure the shame of the cross. We endure the shame of the cross. This is language, of course, that comes from our text this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. For the joy set before Him, that's Jesus, He endured the cross, scorning its shame. Now, this may seem odd to us, this idea of the cross being shameful. We don't maybe think of the cross in this way, of being a source of shame. We live in a fairly, maybe you'd say a scientific age, a reasonable age. And so for us, it's not the idea of a man being crucified that is problematic. We can imagine this. History tells us that these things happened no, it's the idea of the resurrection that's a little challenging, right? At least for me, maybe not for you. The idea of somebody who was dead not being dead anymore, that's weird. That's the odd thing. That's the, that's the obstacle for us. That's the hurdle. As you have conversations with your non-Christian friends, I was sitting in a pub with a neighbor a while ago who would consider himself an agnostic or an atheist, and about, we were just talking about different things, and out of the blue, he goes, so you really believe in that resurrection thing? And we're good relationships, safety, right? So I'm like, yeah, I do. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. See, for us, we don't think about the cross as being shameful or or humiliating. We think about the resurrection being that thing that makes Christianity difficult. But for early Christians, the resurrection was not all that problematic. The resurrection was surprising. Nobody was expecting Jesus to raise from the dead. This wasn't common. It was no more common then than it is now. There was no real history of resurrection. People weren't expecting the Messiah of God to resurrect from the dead. That's not how it was supposed to work. So it was surprising, but it became really the only way that people could understand Jesus actually being Lord. Because, see, there was plenty of Messiahs who claimed to be Messiah, claimed to be God's rescuer, and yet they all died. More specifically, they were killed. They were usually crucified. Crucified. There's a history for this. We know how this works. You claim to be a Messiah. And if Rome kills you, we all know, well, you weren't really a Messiah. A dead Messiah was a failed Messiah. And yet here are Jesus' followers claiming that, no, actually, Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus, who was crucified, Peter says, has been made Lord. Why? Because God resurrected him. Because the grave could not hold him. And again, this was a surprise, but there was really no other way to understand the claims of Jesus' lordship because everybody saw him die. Now there's this testimony of resurrected life. So, yes, the resurrection was a surprise. But what the author of Hebrews is getting at here is something different. The shame of the cross. The cross, again, we're, we're, we miss this, right? Because we wear the cross as Jewelry. We have necklaces or bracelets with the cross. Some of us might have a t-shirt with the cross. Whether or not you confess to be a Christian or not, the cross is its sort of this benign symbol, isn't it? And yet, in Jesus' day, to the people that the author of Hebrews is writing, the cross was offensive. Uh, many Jews during this time, they would have understood the cross to be evidence that God had condemned you. Pulling from language from the Old Testament, they would have said that anybody who died on a tree, on a cross, had been judged and condemned by God. To be crucified was to be condemned, not by the Romans, but by God. And it wasn't much better for the Gentiles, for the Romans in this day. The only people who would be crucified were were slaves, were foreigners. Were those deemed to be the worst of the worst criminals? There were other ways of killing people. If someone deserved capital punishment, they would usually be beheaded. Crucifixion was reserved for those who were just barely seen to be human. The cross was shameful, humiliating. To crucify someone was was to to, to do far more than just kill them. It was to make a mockery of them, to shame them, to humiliate them. And the author of Hebrews says that it is this that Jesus endures. The cross's shame. The soldier's who stripped and flogged and nailed Jesus to a cross, were doing far more than executing Him. They were humiliating Him. The Jews passing by on that day as Jesus hung on the cross saw someone who had been condemned by God, cursed by God. The Gentiles, the Romans, saw someone who barely qualified to be human. The author of Hebrews says that it is all of this that Jesus willfully endured shame of the cross. And it is this that we are called to endure. We too are called to endure the shame of the cross. This is what Paul is getting at when he writes in 1 Corinthians. We preach Christ crucified. He doesn't include the resurrection here. He says, we we, we preach Christ crucified, he goes on to say, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Of course, of course. To preach the crucified Christ is, is not to preach an easy, accessible gospel. It is to make it hard. It is to preach the shamefulness of what happened on the cross, a stumbling block, foolishness. Think about this. As Christians, when we proclaim the cross, we are claiming that the all-powerful God made himself nothing in order to be humiliated on our behalf. We claim that our salvation, our liberation, our healing, our restoration comes through a moment of profound defeat and humiliation. You and I, we live among a people who value power, who value victory and legitimacy, and yet we instead follow a Savior who traded a throne for a manger, who traded heaven's glory for the outcast and the demon-possessed, who traded worshipped by heavenly beings for a towel and a basin of water to wash the nasty disciples' feet, who traded eternal, perfect communion with the triune God for isolation and desertion on the cross. This is a humiliating act on God's behalf. You see, this is not how God is supposed to behave. The all power, omniscient, omnipotent God acting this way. And maybe some of us have forgotten just how odd this sounds. Try explaining it to one of your friends who is not a Christian this week. Try explaining why the cross matters to us so much. Try explaining what happened on the cross and see if you can do so without feeling that thing in your stomach. God, is that really how you had to do it? God, couldn't you have been more God-like in how you rescued us? Did you have to choose that? There is a a shame, a humiliation about what happens on the cross, and it is this what Jesus endured, and it is this what we are called to endure as well. Too often, I think, you and I treat the cross as a necessary inconvenience. After accepting the inconvenient truth of the cross, we we want to move on to something uh, more legitimate, something more appealing, something more interesting. How about we focus on our efforts to to promote justice in this world? Let's talk about how we are doing our best to love our neighbors. How about this racial reconciliation thing that we're so passionate about? Why don't we point to the legitimacy of our programs and our ministries and yet and yet without the cross, without the humiliation of the Son of God crucified on our behalf, all of our best efforts, all of our most intelligent thoughts, all of our most compassionate works are what? What does Paul say? Filthy rags. Worthless. Worthless without the foundation of what God accomplished on the cross. Amen. So we can't push the cross off to the side. We can't relegate the cross to a piece of jewelry. The cross is for us a shame that is to be endured, but it is our salvation. Do not belittle the cross, church. Do not sweep it under the rug. Do not pretend to move on to something that is more important. We endure the cross and its shame because without it, our new lives, our new identities, and our new hope has no foundation. Number two, we endure temptation. Somebody say temptation. You can tell this is going to be a real uplifting sermon, can't you? You're going to just lead, just feeling so good about yourself today. Temptation. First Corinthians chapter 10 says, when you are tempted, God will also provide a way out so that you can endure it when 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 you are tempted when you are tempted god will provide a way out so that you can endure it there's some good news here temptation is not forever god will provide a way out that's good news right but how many of us know that this temptation usually lasts longer than we would choose When we are tempted, God will provide a way out. Yes, but it will last. It will last. And so endurance is required. Endurance is required when it comes to temptation. And some of you don't need to hear me say anything else. Because you're there. You are enduring your temptation. You are bearing up underneath the temptations that you are facing. You know what it is to go to war against your temptations, against lust, against pride, against self-hatred, gossip and anger. You know what it is to battle these. You You need not hear me say much more about this. You understand the consequences of succumbing to these temptations. And so you are living a life of endurance. You are trusting that God will always provide an escape. You are looking to Jesus, who we see in the Bible was tempted in every way and yet did not succumb. As we said a few weeks ago, the Jesus who became vulnerable to our temptations and yet did not fail. You are bearing up because of these things. You are enduring. Keep it up. Don't stop. Endure. Others of us this morning. Others of us this morning have forgotten what it is to endure temptation. We've become cozy with the sins that used to offend us. We don't endure temptations because we've become numb. We've become used to degrading language, to sexuality that is impure. We've become numb to gossiping, to gluttony, to hoarding our money and our time. These things don't strike us as temptations any longer. We've become cozy with them. If I can say it as bluntly as possible, if you and I are not enduring temptations, we are succumbing to them. If we are not enduring temptations, we are succumbing to them. The Bible does not say if you are tempted. The Bible says when you are tempted. Perhaps there are these moments for us when the grace of God so covers us that we have these moments of respite. Thanks be to God. But I want to make the case that in this life, we will most of the time be enduring temptations. The question is not if. The question is whether or not we are aware of it or not. Are you enduring or have you succumbed? Again, some of you, you just need to hear, keep enduring. Don't stop. Keep it up. You know your weaknesses. You've identified the temptations that you face, and you're bearing up. Keep it up. Allow the church to come alongside you and to endure with you. Don't stop. But some of you this morning need to hear the words of Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament who says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those of us who have become cozy with sin, who have forgotten what it is to be offended by sin. Church, the good news is that God will always provide a way out. The good news is that you never have and you never will be tempted beyond what you can bear. This is a promise you can take to the bank. There is hope. There is good news. And some of you this morning, some of you this morning need to tune out everything else I hear. And you just need to begin meditating on your life. If you're not aware of actively enduring temptation, you need to ask the Holy Spirit of God to become convicting your heart. Where am I missing it? Where am I missing it? Where have I become cozy with something that is offensive to God? You hear what I'm saying? Allow the Holy Spirit of the living God to convict your heart, not out of judgment, but out of rescue, out of healing. Here's the last thing I want to say about, about temptation. Some of us this morning have been doing our best to endure for a long time. And we have been failing and failing and failing. Some of us, there's a specific sin, there's a specific temptation, and we have battled this thing for months, for years, for decades. And it's still there. And it's come to define. And you know the cycle of saying, this time I'm going to get it right. This time I'm not going to succumb. And then falling again. You know this. Let me be really simple. Get help. Let us help you. You are not meant to endure by yourself. Amen, church? You are not meant to endure by yourself. You are not meant to struggle by yourself. You are not meant to fight by yourself. Some of you, the most important thing you could do today is to find somebody who you can open up your life to a little bit in this area. Who you can say, there is this thing that has come to dominate my life. And I can't get rid of it. I'm trying to endure it. I know that it's sinful. I know that it has a hold on me. And I can't let it go. I need help. I need help. I need help. This is what the church is. The church is not full of people who've got everything figured out. Amen? Amen. Church is not full of people who don't still have healing to happen, restoration to happen. Church is full of people who confess to one another, to repent to one another, to be supported by one another, to talk to someone. Talk to me. Come up after the service. Talk to me. Talk to a friend in church. Talk to one of our prayer team members. Talk to somebody in your community group. Say, I've got this thing, and I need help help. There are people in our church who can point to specific resources. Maybe it's an addiction of some kind. We've got those kinds of resources. Maybe you just need accountability. We can do that. Maybe you need someone to pray over you. Maybe you just need someone to check in with you, to walk beside you. We'll be there. We'll be there. You need to stop enduring alone. Am I being clear about this? There's no fuzziness on this, right? Right? And I pray, I pray that if the Holy Spirit is kind of doing that thing right now in some of your hearts, that you will follow up on this today, that you will talk to somebody today, that you will ask for help and prayer for somebody today. Don't keep doing this by yourself. Don't allow the voice of fear to hold you back. Don't allow the what if to hold you back. Please, please, please allow the church to be the church for you today. Amen? Okay, thank you. Kalia, it's good to have you back. I like your strong amen. It's so helpful for the preacher. Thank you. Kalia has been at camp for like a month. So not just on a vacation, like it's part of her ministry, you know. So welcome back, Kalia. Number three, we endure one another. We endure one another. This is one that seems a little funny to me when I started seeing this pop up in the Bible. We think about endurance of, 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 of like something out there, right? Like temptation, maybe you're living out in the world, pursuing the mission of God. But do you know that we're called to endure each other? Do you know that you're called to endure the person who's sitting next to you right now? Some of you are like, "Oh yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> I'm very aware." Paul puts it this way in Ephesians, be completely humble and gentle. He's speaking to the church here. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. He says it again in Colossians, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. What is Paul getting at here? Pretty simple. Community can be hard. Anybody agree with that? Yeah, community can be hard. Too often though we miss this. Too often we have this idealized version of church, of community, right? Like if we all love Jesus, we should all just be great together. Everything should just be smooth sailing, right? We've all kind of believed the same things. And so we act as if community should just come naturally to us. Of course, then we act surprised when somebody hurts us, offends us, or lets us down. Oh, in the church. Christians, oh my goodness. Because, of course, we ourselves would never do such a thing. We're called to bear with each other, church. Paul, in his letters here, is writing to an incredibly diverse group of people, people who never had really even been in the same room together. In a worshiping community, the men and women, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. And so it was pretty clear to everybody that, of course, humility, gentleness, and patience was going to be required if this was going to work. Confession and forgiveness would have to be a regular part of their life together. Of course, of course, they would have to endure together. Of course. And yet, too often, you and I, we miss this but it is so, so important for us, so important for a new church like ours. We cannot be naive about what community requires. Again, if I can be really blunt, being wounded by each other in church happens. Being wounded by each other in church is normal. Here's what's not normal what's not normal is checking out after we're wounded what's not acceptable is for us to walk away from each other when something hard happens i can guarantee that you if you've been in our church for a month, two months, three months you know exactly what i'm talking about right now you have been let down you have been in a conversation where somebody said something hurtful. You, you've, you've wondered whether this reconciling community thing is actually worth it. What is our response when these things happen? We can act shocked and surprised. Oh my goodness, that happens in church? Or, or, we can endure. We can endure with each other. We can We can avoid checking out. We can have that follow-up conversation. We can ask for clarification. We can assume the best of each other. We can be quick to forgive. There is no community without endurance. You hear that? There's pseudo-community. There's surface community. There's doing churchy stuff together. There is no community without endurance. We will not come to truly love each other if we do not endure. We will not come to truly know each other if we do not endure. Amen? Amen? Community requires endurance. Number four, sound doctrine requires endurance. Biblical teaching requires endurance. Maybe my biblical teaching especially requires endurance. I don't know. Maybe this one seems a little bit odd to us as well, right? I mean, it's the Bible we're talking about, right? Christians love the Bible, right? You just can't stop reading the Bible, right? You read as much as you can, right? Have it under your pillow at night, right? Couple of verses here, Hebrews chapter thirteen, brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. I urge you to bear, to stick with it, to endure my word of exhortation. Second Timothy Paul writes, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, when they will not bear up, when they will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, there are some times at least when biblical teaching, biblical instruction, the scriptures themselves require us to endure them, to bear up under them. Why? Why is this book what we call the Word? The Scriptures, why would they require us to endure? Well, I can think of two possibilities. One, is that we have sin in our life that we want to hang on to. Anybody have the experience of being convicted by the Scriptures? Of having the Scriptures slice you open in some way and call something out in your life that must be repented of? That would be great if we could just, oh, I just, wanna, I, just want the, the, I just want the Bible to do that to me. I just want the Holy Spirit to point out all my sin, all my issues, so I can just repent and confess. Come on. Is that who we really are? <laughs> Many of us, we, we know exactly the sins that we hang on to and struggle with, and we kind of like it. We're going to hang on to it. So some of, us, some of us, the reason we don't want to bear up under the Scriptures is because there is sin in our lives that we don't want to be convicted of. Here's the other reason that I could think of. As Paul puts it, maybe we're just content with spiritual milk. We're not ready for spiritual meat. This is Paul's metaphor to talk about Christian maturity. He says to a church, I gave you spiritual milk because you just weren't ready. You just weren't interested in spiritual meat. You weren't ready to endure sound biblical teaching. For some of us, this is where we are. We're, we like we like the milk. It's, it's refreshing. I had a, a professor in graduate school who, 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 you know, he was older. He was probably in his, I'm not going to say that because some of you are gonna be like, oh, that's old. He was older. And... Um, and he reflected about how many students over his years of teaching had come to him and said, I, I'm going to read the Bible straight through, cover to cover, front to back. Anybody been there? Anybody been there? Come on. Anybody been there? Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. I have. He said, and so you start off, and some of you know how this goes, right? You start in Genesis. Genesis is pretty interesting, right? There's some pretty cool stories. It's all narrative. You know, there's crazy stuff that happens in Genesis. You're like, whoa, really? That's in there? and you get to Exodus, it's okay, right? Still stories, still some amazing stuff that happened, but then, you know, you get into some kind of laws, you know, like, you know, this person, this person, you know, but you make it through, and then you get to, huh? Leviticus. How many of you, like, you just, at Leviticus? (laughs) You're like, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 no. And this professor said, he said, you got to eat the broccoli of Leviticus. You love the taste of Genesis and Exodus, but you got to learn to love the taste of the broccoli of Leviticus. <laughs> is, that John, is that John White back there? back there? That seemed like something John White would do. Sneak back and start clapping. Are you eating your broccoli? Are we content with spiritual milk? There's something about being formed by God, being formed by the Scriptures, being formed into the people that God has called us to be, the people who God has attended us to be. There's something about the life that God has called us to be that requires us to be formed by the Scriptures. By the Holy Spirit of God working through the Scriptures. And it will not happen if we do not endure. We do not endure sound teaching, good doctrine, regularly showing up at your community group and digging into the Bible together, learning how to push through the broccoli of Leviticus. Enduring the Scriptures allows us to grow up in our faith to mature the people who God has called us to be. This book, church, this book should trouble you. This book should confuse you at times. This book should convict you and should expose you. In other words, this is a book that requires us to endure it. Would would we be like the psalmist who prays to God, open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law? Would we have that sort of hunger? Would we learn how to sit under the Scriptures in that sort of way that we can open ourselves up in desire? Desire to be formed in this sort of way. Open our eyes, God. We would learn to love and delight in your Scriptures as we're formed by them. Number five, we endure our impatience. Revelation chapter 3 records Jesus speaking to a church. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. This idea of enduring patiently is woven throughout the New Testament. You see, historically, to be a Christian was to be patient. You didn't become a Christian in order to see things happen quickly. You were a patient person. You learned pretty quickly that God's timetable was not yours. The psalmist says in Psalm 90, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. We had a meeting, a leadership team meeting yesterday, and Carlos Dodson reminded us that we are from a, as he put it, microwave generation. Do you know what he means when he says that? Oh, You could say a fast food generation, an instant gratification generation. We want it done now how we want it done, right? We are impatient. We struggle with this idea of God's timetable, not lining up with our own. And so we want our children to obey us quickly. We want our boss to see our potential quickly. We want our home to sell quickly, and we drag this into our faith as well. We want to quit struggling with that thing quickly. We want our prayers to be answered the way we want them to be answered quickly. And we'd be foolish to think that we don't have that same expectation of our church, of each other, Things should happen quickly the way we think they should happen. I'm going to speak more to this in a couple of weeks, but let me just say for now that we must learn to endure our own impatience. When we judge too quickly, we miss what God is doing all around us. When we claim to speak on behalf of God, we miss how God is working in the lives of those around us, so we learn to endure our own impatience. Two more. Number six, we endure God's discipline. Say discipline. Discipline. This is just getting better and better, isn't it, this sermon? I'm telling you, I'm listening to myself right now. I'm like, woo. Thankfully, we're celebrating communion together today. So if nothing else, you will be spiritually nourished and encouraged by the body and the blood of our Savior. Ramelia is going to talk about this more next week, so I'm not going to say very much here. But Hebrews chapter 12 and a couple verses, uh, we see this. Endure hardship as a discipline. Endure hardship as a discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? No discipline seems, uh, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Did you know that the hardships that you are currently experiencing, that the troubles that you know in your life may be meant by God to discipline you? Did you know this? There are, I think, two types of discipline that we can see easily in the scriptures. The first is just God kind of, you know, because we, we are just willfully sinning. We know it's wrong. We're choosing to go this way. God says, mm, hey, mm, mm. I think the other one's a little bit more subtle though. I think what we see in the scriptures many times is God allowing hardship to expose our idolatry. It's in hardship, it's in trouble that we find out what we really value. What we, we find out who we really worship. We find out who we really are, where our identity truly lies. You don't know these things when everything is going well, do you? You can claim anything when your life is good. Oh, yeah, I believe that. Oh, yeah, I would totally do that. Oh, yeah, I would never do that. I would never doubt that when life is going well. But in hardship, the discipline of God begins to peel away and expose our idolatry. Who we truly worship, what we truly believe about ourselves, These things are exposed. God uses hardship and trouble in our life to discipline us in this kind of way. And so when we avoid hardship at any cost, when we just try to get out of trouble as quickly as possible to avoid it, to numb it, we're missing the opportunity to be instructed and disciplined by our God. We endure God's discipline knowing that the result of this discipline is a refined faith, a clear conviction of Christ for us, and a renewed passion for the life God has called us to. And lastly, number seven, we endure persecution. Thessalonians, uh, in the second book, chapter one, we read this, therefore among God's churches we boast about your perseverance and the faith in all of the persecutions and trials, you are endurance, enduring. Now, maybe we could lump together persecution and hardship, but I think we need to distinguish the two of these because hardship happens to everybody. Jesus says it rains on the just and the unjust. Hardship happens. Persecution, on the other hand, is what happens to those who confess Christ. Persecution is what happens to those who claim allegiance to Jesus and Jesus alone. Persecution is what happens to those who are living out their faith in Christ such that they are often in opposition with the way the world works. This is when persecution comes. And here's what I find really, really interesting. I'm not... Don't, don't, don't hear me getting, like, super political here right now, but this is what I find truly interesting, this American Christian instinct to want to avoid persecution. We, we, we find ourselves maybe marginalized as Christians, and so what is our response? Well, we need to change the government. Why? So that we won't be persecuted. We need to to dictate somehow our morality, what we believe, so that we be marginalized, so that we won't experience that persecution. I imagine the early church would have found this odd. For the early church, persecution wasn't something that you sought after, it wasn't something you desired, but it was something you welcomed. You welcomed the persecution as a sign of God's presence. As an opportunity to bear witness to your Savior. and So, church, we've said this before, but as we live out our identity as God's people, we expect that there will be these moments of persecution. We don't want them, but we'll welcome them. Welcome them as opportunities for Christ to be proclaimed in the world. Welcomed as an opportunity for us to demonstrate the kingdom of God to a skeptical world. And so we endure persecution together. Seven obstacles. Again, you've probably thought of a couple others as I have been uh, talking this morning. Different ways that we are called to endure in this life. God's mission is such that enduring is not an option for us. We will experience these things and we will be required to endure. So how, how do we endure? That's what Remelia's gonna answer for you next week. So make sure you come back for that. She's gonna spend some time, some good time on what it looks like for us to live enduring lives. Here we have these realities, here we have these obstacles, here we have these things that we will run into as people pursuing God's mission. So how do we do so and live lives of joy? How do we thrive in our Christian identity as we encounter this? Again, she's gonna answer all those questions for you and more too, so make sure to come back next week. Uh, but let me, just, let me just close with this word of hope as we, as we come to the table together. Uh, in, uh, in the passage that we read this morning, in the beginning of our, of our passage, in verse two, um, we read that for the joy set before him, For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And Zach and worship team, you all can come back on up. The the, the author of Hebrews in this passage, he he says, consider him. Consider Jesus. And so as you sit here this morning and as you come forward in a minute to receive communion, I want you to consider Jesus. Maybe some of this is sitting heavy with some of you, some of this is weighing heavy right now. And so what I want I want to ask us to do as we as we kind of transition towards communion is to consider Christ. And what do we consider when we consider Christ? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's three things here. Jesus endured. What what does this mean? This 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 is the death of Christ, right? This is the cross. Jesus endured the cross. Jesus' body is broken on the cross. Jesus endures the shame of the cross. And so this event, we come this morning and we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the cup. What are we doing? We are remembering that Jesus did something. Past tense. He endured it. This thing happened. Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. So how is it that we can endure in the face of all these obstacles? We begin with what has already been accomplished. Amen? The death of Christ and the resurrection the victory of Christ is a done deal. Our identity, our salvation is rooted in this thing. This event, this gospel event, changes everything. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, this doesn't sound like it, but this is future tense. We're told in the scriptures that after Christ ascended, he he, he now rules and reigns from the throne of God. The image here is of a victorious king claiming his throne. And again, the imagery here is of God the Father standing up from the throne so that the victorious Son of God can rule and reign from the throne. The Son of God who has defeated sin, death, and evil now rules and reigns until he comes again. And so this act of sitting down on the throne, there's a future tense to this as well too because it points us to what is to come. Because Jesus doesn't sit on the throne forever. One day Jesus will get up from the throne and the Father will sit back down. Rule and reign for all eternity over a, create, a recreated, restored world. And so we have the past tense of Jesus having endured, the body broken, the blood shed for us. We have the future tense when one day Christ will get up from the throne having made all things right and the Father will sit down and rule for eternity. And, and then I want to say that there's a present tense in this, in this language as well. How do we endure? How do we face these obstacles? How do we not be beaten down by these things? For the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What is that joy? Certainly, it's the Father's glory. We see in this passage that the joy set before him is us. It's us. It's our faith. It's our salvation. It's our rescue. It's our redemption. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, there is a joy in front of him. And it's you. He has you in mind as he hangs on the cross. And even in that moment of despair and darkness and death, there is somehow a joy in front of him. And it's you. It's your restoration. It's your redemption. It's your rescue. It's your salvation. Somebody say amen. Amen. There is this present tense because you, you, child of God, have been restored. You, child of God, have been rescued, have been redeemed. You, child of God, have been brought from death into life, a life that begins now, goes for all of eternity. And so, so I study these things and I prepare the sermon and I look at these obstacles and I think, it's a lot lot that we're called to endure that we're called to face and then we look at the cross and i want to say this morning that as we consider him as the author of hebrews says as we consider him and what happened on the cross the obstacles get really really small yes they still matter yes we still face them yes some of us are still wrestling hard with temptation but in light of the cross in light of what was accomplished on the cross obstacles start to get much, much smaller. Because Jesus endured. Jesus endured when we couldn't endure. And Jesus prevailed when we couldn't prevail. Jesus endured the scorn, the shame of the cross, for the joy of our salvation. I want to suggest to you this morning as you come and you and you you eat the bread and take the cup, that this be a reminder to you that you have been given more than enough to endure. Not because you're so smart, because you're so strong, not because you're so wise, but because of what Christ has done for you. You have more than enough to endure anything that you are facing right now. You lack nothing, nothing. So in a minute, Amelia is going to join me so we can serve you. Our communion, the prayer team will be available as always. Please, please ask for prayer this morning. Please come up. They'll be on the sides. They would love to pray for you, pray the gospel over you. They would love to, to listen to specific requests that you have and pray for those for you. Please, please, please take advantage of them this morning. And then when you're ready, there's no hurry. Come up, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. And be reminded that it is this that sustains us for this journey of endurance. Do we have the confession of sin that we can put up there? like us to say this together, please? Let's pray this prayer together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as they were delivered by the Apostle Paul. Let us pray. O Lord of all, we offer our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to you. Presenting to you from your creation this bread and this cup. Gracious God, we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit on these gifts that they may be the sacrament of the body of Christ and the blood of the new covenant. Unite us to your son and his death and resurrection that we may be acceptable through him being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In the fullness of time, put all things in subjection under your Christ and bring us to that heavenly feast where with all your saints we will be gathered in glory everlasting. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, the firstborn of all creation, the head of the church, the author of our salvation. By him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours. Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Prayer team, please come on forward. Uh, Again, as you are ready, uh, there's no hurry. I ask that you take some time to ask the Spirit of God to call to mind sin in your life that can be confessed of and repented of before you come forward. Again, I'd ask you that you take advantage of of our prayer team to be prayed for this morning nick is available would love to pray for you and then as you're ready please come forward and take a piece of bread dip it in the cup and be reminded take into you the grace of god that sustains us in the face of every obstacle stand. We're going to close by going back to From the Inside Out. I'm going to sing through that one more time uh, as, we, as we close our time in worship. Um, Lord Jesus, I pray now that you will be encouraging our hearts, that you have been lifted high, and the symbol that was meant to us, shame, has saved us symbol that was meant to devastate you and humiliate you has become the source of our life so we proclaim that you have been lifted high even as today we lift you high again and now as we sing through this again lord jesus we pray that you would turn us inside out convict our hearts again lord Show us the areas where we are succumbing to temptation. Show us the areas where we have given up. Show us the areas where we need once again to know you standing strong beside us, enduring the cross for us. Speak words of truth and grace to those of us today who need to remember that it's not just up to us, that it's not just our job that we do this together. We do this with you. So allow this song, God, to be our cry to you, a cry from a people who wants to learn how to endure this life and thrive for your glory's sake. Let this song be a cry from a people who who stumbles, who falls, who succumbs, who gives in at times and yet once again stands before you in need of your mercy and your grace, trusting that you are a loving and a forgiving God. Let this be a cry of a people who does not want to sit on the sidelines any longer, who wants to pursue the mission of restoration and reconciliation that you are about in this world. Allow this to be a cry of a people who don't want safety, who don't want comfort, who aren't afraid of the obstacles in front of us. Allow this to be a cry of a people who want to see you change our world. Allow this song to be a cry of people who want to see you again do mighty, amazing things. Allow this to be uh, the cry of a people who don't want to be defined by what the world says cannot happen. Wants to be defined by what is possible in you. So sing, church, cry out again to our Savior. we invite you to remain in worship church. There's no hurry. Uh, If you need to go, please go in peace. We'd ask if you wanna talk, have conversations that you do so out in the lobby. Worship team's gonna continue playing and singing for a little bit. Still be available for prayer if anybody wants prayer after this service. If you've not received communion and and you'd like to, please come forward. God, we pray now that you would continue to speak to speak truthfully continue to bring us into your presence as we go we ask Holy Spirit of the living God that you would send us as a people who've been given everything that we need for this life whatever we are facing pales in comparison to the cross so we pray that the cross would remain central to us this week that we would endure the shame of the cross These things in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Go in peace.